that you are the, the one that we run to, that we hide in Jesus. That's who you are and it's what you do. You fight for us, you guard us, you protect us, you walk with us, Jesus. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're never content with us living in our brokenness. God, you're not okay with the spirit of death defining our steps of life every day. Jesus, you've come. You've already come. You've already done the work. We declare it as truth, God, that victory is found in the name of Jesus. And in the name of Jesus, every name in heaven and on earth shall bow and declare that you alone are Lord. We worship you this morning as the Lord. Yes, Jesus. We declare it that, Father, you, you are Lord, and we are not. That you are a creator, and we are not. Father God, we declare that you must increase in every area of our life, Jesus. And we must decrease. Jesus, you are good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Man, I hate worship. I'll just kid. Just kid. Just kid. That's good, y'all. So good. Greg, do you mind getting me a cup of water? Thanks, man. Yeah, I've still got my voice is hoarse uh, from screaming at the television screen on yesterday at about, I don't know, about four, about, probably about six o'clock, really. Yeah, shut it, Jeff, self. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, seriously, uh, if y'all would go ahead and pass your baskets back down. If you fill out a connect card, it'd be a time to put that in there, and it'll get you to shoot you out an email as soon as possible. Um, and this would be a time for our tithes and our offerings. Obviously, just what our tithes and our offerings go towards just the kingdom work that God is doing here at Vintage. And I just want to say this, just want to talk about an opportunity real quick uh, about our year-end offering. I'm not sure if you've been at Vintage before, if you've heard of our year-end offering, but basically this year we decided that we, um, we just realized there are lots of things that God is doing in the context of Vintage. Honestly, we're, thanks, buddy. We are excited um, you know, we love uh, being at Vintage. Randall and I you know, moved here basically a little over three years ago to, to come and to be a part and not having, having no idea what this was going to be. And uh, so we stepped in, and, and honestly, we thoroughly, we thoroughly love Vintage. We love what's going on here. Kelly, hey, man. This is the man with the baby. Welcome, dude. You doing all right? You got permission? There she is right there. Look at that. You see it? We got her right there, man. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Congratulations, even though you didn't really do anything. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, but a great opportunity, um, you know, here at Vintage. We, uh, you know, we are a church whose, whose mission is community transformation, right? We believe God's called us to be, be an agent uh, of transformation, uh, both here and locally, both nationally and, and internationally. So for us as a, as a church, we're invested in all of these areas, and so... We, and we're, we're excited about all of that. But we recognize, Randall and I do, that you know, as, uh, as we continue to grow, 
that, that there are uh, that there's only so much that we can do. All right. And so as we step into the 2012 year, we we're praying into and talking like, God, what do you want to do in the upcoming year? And so there are a couple of things that we recognize that as we as we take this year and offer and think that money is going to go towards. Number one is this. We have a vision of, of staffing, extra staffing. We need help. Randall, if you know, Randall basically works 40 to 50 hours a week up here at Vintage and she makes absolutely no money. All right. She makes zero dollars. Right. But she gives her time and she works. I mean, she does more than I do, honestly. We, this church would die without her, I'm telling you, honestly. It needs her more than Jesus. I'm just kidding, all right? That was, that was terrible. You're like, oh my gosh, he really. Whatever. But I'm just kidding. But anyway, seriously, there's just this whole dynamic that we recognize we step in the new year that we need staffing. In fact, I, was, I told our leadership team, like, listen, if you don't staff anybody, we're leaving. <laughs> we're totally out of here, right? Because we just need people to come in and help us. And the reason is this. We, we, our values are living upward in relationship with Jesus, right? As we are, you know how it is, when you get burned out and you're dying, then, you know, it's, it's hard, ultimately, to, to go and to be Jesus to people when you feel like you're barely surviving yourself, right? And so for us, honestly, we're doing okay, but we need help, right? And so we're, we recognize that bringing people in for specifically associate pastor, for, 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 for worship, and for youth, and someone to take over a good chunk of the administrative uh, work, there would be a huge help and a huge, huge aid for what God wants to do here at Vintage. And so we look at 2012 as a season that, hey, we're going to begin looking at, or actually we're already looking at taking steps towards, towards funding uh, our, our staff positions. We recognize right now where we are financially, to be honest with you, it's going to be a huge leap of faith for us to take those steps. And so we're saying, hey, let's start the ground running in 2012 uh, with, this, with this offering that will help fund that. Number two, we recognize this, this understanding that we have been called to live inward. The inward part of vintage is primarily discipleship. We recognize discipleship is a huge part of who we are. And so as we come in, these specific pieces for the staff are, are for that, to come in and help invest in your lives, to take you deep and help, help basically be in relationship with you. And the third, the third part uh, is living outward. Okay? Living outward is a huge component of who vintage, we said vintage wants to be. We said ultimately in time what we'd like to get at is that 50% of undesignated monies are going towards vintage stuff and 50% is leaving our doors and going out and helping other people locally, nationally, internationally. So what we recognize with this year-end offering, we're going to take a, a huge chunk of it and we're just going to immediately send it out our doors, right? We have, I mean, you know, the ministries that we've been affiliated with. We've, we've drilled wells in Africa. We have uh, invested into these local communities and apartment complexes, those who are in need and invested in them. You know, we're at Abney Elementary doing this kid's beach club, which is like pseudo Bible club, but don't tell anybody, right? Investing there for over 145 kids we're reaching out to every single week, right? So we're going to take these monies and literally just send them out our doors and bless those who have needs as great and probably greater than ours. And so I want to give you a heads up with that, that that's what we're looking for. So here's what I'm asking. You know, for those of you who are new, you're like, oh, my gosh, you always talk about money. For those of you around, you know that I rarely ever do. But I'm simply saying to you, as we step into 2012, we recognize there are things that God wants to do in us and through us. And we recognize that that it takes manpower, and honestly, as you know, it takes resources, financial being the primary one to make these things happen. So what I'm asking you to do is simply this. I'm not, I'm not going to now give you some sort of thermometer up here. I'm not going to give you something like, we're going to try to reach this. All I'm asking you to do is this. I just want you to pray and ask God, hey, what would you have our family do? And then you simply be obedient. Uh, hopefully I will never know what you gave. 
right? I don't need to know what your obedience looked like. That's between you and Jesus. We're just asking as we come to the year end that you would, for those of you who are part of the vintage family, that you would pray into that and see what God would have you do. And if you're cool with Jesus in that, then I'm cool with you. All right? So it'd be great. All right, hey, um, so let's jump in this morning. How many of you, uh, how many of you have seen a good movie recently? Let me see, let me see. I know, right? How many of you just like good movies in general, right? Raise your hand high. It's not, I like movies myself. If you're one of them, I'm judging you for liking movies, right? I love good movies. I love the cathartic nature of getting into the story. Just like that word cathartic, right? Cathartic nature of these stories is getting in and embracing. That's why you love novels. You can just get in and kind of honestly, if you're honest, like I just like to leave my life for about an hour and a half to two hours and go invest in this fake one over here, right? But you like, you just love this whole thing. And so it was interesting uh, a couple, a few months ago, I was reading an article, and the title of the article was this, Hollywood has run out of good movie ideas, right? And that was the, that was the article, and I just, and I, so I was like, that's really, that's really interesting, right? And so I got into, and basically we were just talking about the nature of movies these days, that you have all these movies based on comic strips, like you got Thor, you got the Green Lantern, we like all of those, right? You have some sort of history with those, but movies are about that, or you have remakes. I mean, golly, how many remakes of movies came out? You're like, didn't I see that movie before, right? It's like, it's all into remakes. And the third one that you find are Movies based on or inspired by true events, right? You've seen that. And so it's interesting, actually, in the 1990s, there were 63 films in the 1990s, right? That's not that long ago, right? 1990s, there were 63 films that were based on or inspired by true events. But in the 2000s, there were over 203 films that were based on or inspired by true events. And in 2010 to 2011, there have been over 43 films already that were based on or inspired by true events. If you're doing your math real quick, that averages out to a little over 203 movies that are being made that are based on or inspired by true events. And let's be honest, we love these movies, don't we, right? Because it's the underdog. The underdog always wins, right? The ugly guy gets the girl in the end. We love these types of movies. We, we have Soul Surfer that came out, the good Christian family film, right? I don't know what's family friendly about it. This girl got her arm eaten off by a shark, right? It's kind of grotesque. But anyway, you got the whole thing going down. Then you have another, like, maiming, right, of the dolphin tail, right? Remember that another arm taken off, right, whatever? You had these, the King's Speech, that was the big award winner that we had in the past year, right? We have all of these films that are based on and inspired by true events. So I figured, hey, this morning, let's do that. So what I'm going to tell you this morning, we're going to have story time with Steve, right? I'm going to change my voice in a second. Story time with Steve, right? No, we're going to have story time with Steve, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a Bible story, and I'm going to retell it. I'm going to retell the story in my, kind of like my interpretation, how I view it, right? I'm not trying to create the, I'm not trying to create the SIV, the Steve-inspired version of the Bible, right? I'm not trying to do that, okay? All I'm trying to do is I've read this section of Scripture, and I thought, man, I just felt compelled to rewrite it, kind of like in words that I understand and kind of how I read it and kind of expounding what I think that Paul was trying to speak into the moment, okay? And so I'm going to read that this morning. We're going to have story time with Steve. So here's what I need to do. Just go ahead and bring the lights down, Eddie. We're going to bring the, the side lights on, right? Just like doing, no, no, leave the side lights up. Bring everything else down, all right? You can leave the, there you go. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Have your coffee, just bring it close, right? It's a story time, right? Go ahead and kind of settle in, stretch out a little bit. Seriously, go ahead and stretch out, get comfortable, right? Kind of scoot back in your chair. But to have story time with Steve. 
If you like to hold hands with your wife, feel free to do that. She would probably love that, right? We're going to have story time. Story time from here is from Philippians chapter 3. Okay? Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is kind of taking us to the next step of what Paul is doing. See, Philippians chapter 3 starts with, with Paul. This is the introduction to our story. Paul is the primary character. Remember, he's looking at his partners, his friends we've been talking about for the last several weeks. The Philippian church, right? They're, they're probably, honestly, his favorite people out of all the letters he's ever written. He's the only letter we said that he actually calls them partners. Everyone else, he kind of calls them immature children. But here they've actually matured and they've, they've grown into the men and the women they were called to be in Christ. And so he's writing them a letter, encouraging them and, and sharing his heart with them. And we come into chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And just, let's just listen as I read this story. Paul speaks. He says, In my past life, I used to put value in my titles, my depth of knowledge, my prestige and power, but all of that I chose to lose. I willingly gave it up. I gave it all up and put it behind me for the sake of Jesus. You see, I was willing to lose everything so that I might have Him. Even more than that, not only did I lose them, but compared to knowing Him intimately, I considered them as rubbish. Things that I want to throw in the trash can, to flush down the toilet, compared to having Jesus in my life. I was tired of having to prove myself by doing things for God. Feeling, feeling like I had to prove my love for God. But do you know what happened? He made me righteous. He said to me, I will purify you. I will clean you. I will make it so you never have to prove your love for me ever again or jump through hoops to earn my favor. I think that you are incredible. I love you and I am for you. See, that's what he said to me. Now, because of this, I want to know him. I want to, to know him intimately like no one else in the world knows him. I want to know him Fully. I don't just want intellectual knowledge of Jesus. I want to have a personal, experiential knowledge of Jesus. I want to know His power in my life. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. I want to experience it. I want to manifest it to others. And I want to share it with those who are in need. I want His power coursing through every part of my being. But I don't just want the great things. I also want to embrace the suffering that comes along with knowing him. See, Jesus experienced grief. He experienced pain. He experienced abandonment, betrayal. He experienced suffering and ultimately death. And I am willing to go through this with him so that I may know him even more. For I can know him best only if I walk the path that he walked. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, I choose Jesus. Now listen, I haven't already experienced the depths of this knowledge or perfected my knowledge of him, but that is the goal of my life. Knowing him 
is the only destination that matters for. It is the destination God has created for me. It is the destination for which He took hold of me. See, He took, He, he held me in His arms of love. He held me in these arms of love before I ever returned that love to Him. He wanted me. He saw me and came after me and took hold of me, seeing in me a potential of intimate friendship that I had never known before. But now, having, listen, having tasted of His goodness, having touched the depth of His love, and recognizing it as Isaiah called it, a deep river of delight that refreshes me to the core of who I am, I want to press on to know Him more. My goal is to find Him, and I don't care what it takes to get Him. Get to Him. I will not stop. I will not slow down. I will not, pers- I will not stop pursuing my goal of deep, intimate knowledge of Jesus, for I can know Him. What in life, what in life is worth more than this gift? Absolutely nothing. I say it again. Nothing is worth more than reaching my destination of Jesus and knowing Him intimately. Yes. It's work. I will have to strain. I will have to press forward. It is not going to be easy, but trust me, the prize, oh, the prize is worth it. It will not be all fun and games, and many times it won't feel good, and it will probably hurt, but I don't mind. See, that is the cost of relationship. For every relationship that is worth having is worth fighting for. It is even worth suffering for. I will fight for my relationship because I have been created to know Jesus and nothing will stand in my way. And if it does, I will press on and I will run it over for I must have him. But here is the incredible secret that I must share with every single one of you. All of you can share this reality. All of you have been created to share in this intimate relationship If you get over yourself, if you will get over your entitlements and your laziness and the obstacles that are keeping you from knowing Jesus, all of you who are mature should have this outlook on life. If this isn't how you are living your life, or if you are not thinking along these lines, ask God to make it clear. Ask Him to speak into your heart the words of tenderness and love I heard Him speak into mine. Ask Him to share the reality of the prize that awaits those who will put aside their own agendas, their own fears, and their own desires, and press on to find Him. This is what you have been created for. He pursued you. He wooed you, chose you, and took hold of you without you ever even knowing it because He loved you. Will you fall in love with Him? You see, it's what you've been created for, and it will not disappoint. God will make it plain to you that you must never relax your efforts or lower your standards, but must press towards the goal until the end. This is a story based on and inspired by true events from Paul speaking to the church in the Philippi. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 16. Go read it this week. Allow this to inform it. 
and let God speak to you personally through what you read from Philippians. All right, you can bring the lights up. Story time with Steve with a, is over for the day. Now, so what I've just told you again is a story based on true events. It's, a, it's the life of Paul. That's what you're getting here in the moment, right? He's coming here in the moment and he's sharing his heart with the people in Philippi, right? These are the people that he loves. He is madly in love with these people. They are his partners. They are his friends. And he sits down with them. He says, listen, I want to share something important with you. I, listen, I used to be incredibly selfish. The whole world revolved around me and my power. I was a Pharisee among Pharisees, right? And the, and the idea of persecuting Christians, I mean, I was number one. And in fact, it was at my feet that Stephen was killed, Right? I was pretty much the bomb, right? In every way imaginable, I was it. Everyone aspired to be like me. And then guess what happened? Bam! Road to Damascus. All of a sudden, I'm on the ground and I realize how finite, listen, how finite and small I was. But I recognize in the moment that what that this Jesus wanted from me was for me to know him fully. And I want you to know that I am wrecked forever for what was revealed to me in that moment. And I recognize that I don't know anything. And that I must then live my life every day exhausting everything I have in me to know him because he is limitless. And I just got to tell you, I gave up everything. Listen, I literally, if I had a big, massive trash can, I would have taken it all and said, who needs this anymore? I've got Jesus and I can know him. And I want to know everything. And everything in my life now is geared towards this reality of every moment of every day aspiring to know it. Yes, listen, I've known the power of his resurrection. Listen, you experienced it yourself, Philippians. Remember that little girl, whatever her name was, who's in your church now, right? She was there and I cast a demon out of her and she was immediately set free right i've laid hands on the sick and they've the dead have been raised legs have grown eyes have been opened amazing things i've experienced the power of jesus coursing through every part of my being but that's not what it's all about because i'm also willing to embrace his sufferings knowing i can't fully know him if i only live in the ecstatic experience of power I must live in the broken moments of suffering also and find him in that place because that's where he went when he was here on earth. I'm willing to go to these both extremes in my life. See, Paul is sharing with us the secret to his life with Jesus. He really shared the secret with his life in general. His secret was the motivation to know Jesus. I mean, know him like like I know my wife, intimate knowledge. And he's like, I'm I'm wrecked for anything else. Nothing else matters in my life. You need to have the same mindset. But I love in verse 12, we didn't, I kind of alluded to it here. But in verse 12, he says this. I haven't obtained this knowledge yet. That's verse 12. I haven't obtained this knowledge. I haven't obtained it. I got a little excited up here. How's it go on? Uh-oh. Hey. 
So, where were we? So anyway, Paul comes this morning, verse 12, he says this. He says, listen, I have not arrived yet. I have not arrived. He says in verse 12, he says, he says, I literally, I have not obtained this knowledge. I have not yet obtained to the fullness of Jesus. And the reason he says this, number one, is to make sure that no one else there thought that they had arrived. Listen, if you, listen, real quick, if you've been in church for, I don't know, for at least the last 10 years on a regular basis, look at me real quick. Because I'm talking, because Paul's talking to you. He says this. He says, I want you to know, Paul's speaking to you, he says, I want you to know that you haven't arrived. You're really not all that in a bag of chips. You're really not. You have yet to arrive. There's still more to Jesus than you, than you know. Listen, when I was 14 years old. We were at this little church in, in Cobb County, and I, and I remember praying one night. I said, God, I, I think I've learned everything there is to know about you. I literally prayed that. And listen, you may not actually pray that because you know it's stupid, but you live like it. You think that you know everything there is to know about Jesus. In fact, that's why you spend more time judging what other people are saying than learning from them. Aren't we by nature always figuring out what's wrong with somebody? I'll, anyway, I, you can spend all, listen, I, whenever I go places, other churches, I have to fight not to judge the pastor the entire time, right? Sitting there going, oh my gosh, they're doing that wrong, right? We do that. Instead of sitting down and saying, Jesus has something for us to learn. Why? Because Paul says, listen, I am the apostle of apostles. You want to aspire to be like me? Let me tell you something. I have yet to arrive. I mean, I've got so much to learn. I'm just way down here, and I've got to turn it. Listen, you will be spending eternity learning about Jesus every second of every moment. Something new will be expressed about who Jesus is. And you think you can learn it all here? Paul's saying, you, I've yet to obtain it. That's why I'm given, it's a prize set before me. Every energy inside of me is given to reach it. I'm going to fight. I'm going to work my tail off until I get there. Number two, he says, I want to make sure that they continued in their own story. Each person has their own story based on true events, their own life. It's your own story. And Paul is coming and saying, listen, you must continue you must not give up. You must go after. You must grab hold of. This is Paul's word. See, he's sharing his motivation, sharing it with them in life about knowing Jesus because it's clear he wants every single one of us to ha have this same motivation. That knowing him so encompasses every moment of our every day that it takes us from where we are to where we need to be. So the question you have to ask yourself this morning is, what is the motivation of your story? Your story, your life is your story. What is your motivation? You see all the time when I talk to people, you know, you've got, you got, you got um, good Christians, and they say, well, I want the world to know Jesus. That's not my motivation in life. I want the lost to get saved. That's, that's not a good motivation in life. It's not enough. I want to be a good father. I want to be a good mother. That's not, that's not motivation. That's not our motivation in life. I want to aspire to success so that I can make a difference for God's kingdom all over the world. That's not our motivation. All those, as good as they may be, if they are your primary motivation in life, then your life will be miserable. 
Because your primary motivation in life, according to Paul, should be knowing Jesus. And when you know Jesus, then all of these other things are an outgrowth of that. You want to be a good father because in knowing Jesus, you know, that's his call for you. In knowing Jesus, you know, hey, he wants us to go and give our lives for those who are broken and those who are lost and those who are in need of healing, right? He wants us to, he, you know, when we get near Jesus, he, we, we know he wants us to succeed in what we're doing so we can take everything we have and give it away to those who actually have need right? He, he motivates us as we know him to do the things that we do every day. And so you have to sit back and say, realistically, honestly, between me and Jesus, no one else, what is my motivation? What is my motivation? What is my motivation in life? See, I think it's interesting to have this motivation talk in the middle of the, or right in the beginning of the, the Christmas holidays. Because all of us in the Christmas holidays, what are we motivated by? Busyness, right? We are motivated uh, by all sorts of things that keep us from saying that we love the season of Christmas, right? How many of I mean, you sit there and go, oh, my gosh, I've got to go pretend I still like my family. This is miserable. Now, I would never say that, Dad, right? My dad's here this morning. But I would never say that about our family. No, but, you know, I'm getting it. There's just like, oh, my gosh, it's so miserable. Oh, my gosh, it's just so hard. Or we live in the, we live in, we're, we're just driven by busyness. We're driven by consumerism in our culture at Christmas. And we think, if I have to go to the mall one more time, I'm going to kill myself. No, we never say that, kids. Don't ever say that, right? But that's what we're thinking in our heads. We know we should never say it, but we're saying it in our heads. This is like, oh, Christmas is here. So December 26th comes, and you sing the Hallelujah Chorus saying, I can, oh, my gosh, I can definitely, definitely wait for next year, right? Because there's this whole drivenness that we live in, this busyness and, and consumerism at Christmas. And so these pastors several years ago in Texas, friends, they said, listen, we, we've got to do something. We've got to do something about Christmas. And so they created something called the Advent Conspiracy. We've, we've embraced it for the last, every, every Christmas season at, at Vintage. And the idea was this. Advent, and simplistically, that simply means the season leading up to Christmas, Advent, from basically all the month of December leading up to Christmas. Okay, that's, that's Advent. And so he said, we're going to conspire. We're going to have a conspiracy to take back Christmas and get it back to Jesus, right? We're going to conspire and work together to make it all about Jesus again, right? In pursuing him and our motivation at Christmas, we want it to still be Jesus, and so they sat down, they named four things. This is how we do it. Number one, we have to be about worshiping fully, right? It's right here on the screen. Advent Conspiracy, worship fully. The idea is this. In everything that I'm doing in my life, at Christmas and every other day, it's all about the pursuit of knowing Jesus, of living intimately with Jesus, right? It's about worshiping with my entire being, right? Not just my hands, not with my voice, but with my feet, with my, with my money, with everything that I'm doing, right? I'm worshiping fully. I think it's practical. It says, how do you do that? Well, in the Christmas season, you spend less. That's number two. It's real practical. You spend less on things your kids don't need, that you don't need, that your family just doesn't need, right? So that, number three, you can give more. That you can give more to those who actually have need and those who are actually broken and those who are actually hurting, right? We don't, your ki our kids don't need one more Xbox game. Trust me. There are people who are looking for T-shirts and socks and underwear for Christmas. These are needs. And this is in our expression number four, 
of loving all. See, this motivation that we have, just leave this up here, Eddie. This motivation that we have in this season is that we are so driven, but God is saying, I want you to be a people who give yourself wholeheartedly everything that you have to me. That's what Paul's getting. I'm motivated by one thing, knowing him intimately. And so the call for us in this season is to do the same thing, to worship fully. That's basically everything. I'm motivated by knowing Jesus. I'm going to spend less, give more, and love all. One guy who did, one little kid did this. You can pull up this, this little kid. His name's Mackenzie. Mackenzie, uh, right here on the top, right, we, we see, this is, this is Mackenzie, right? He probably likes the, the stories about the Spider-Man, the movies, right? He has a Spider-Man shirt on. He's just a cool kid. And, and so go on down to the next page, Eddie. Mackenzie was celebrating his birthday, and here's what happened. He says, on September 9th, I'm turning six. And this year, I'm sharing my birthday with charity water to help bring clean drinking water to people in, in need. So to help, I'm giving up my birthday presents. Stop. Six-year-old kid gives up his birthday presents. Why? And asking for $6 from everyone I know. I want to help Charity Water buy a new drilling rig so more people in Ethiopia can get clean water. Now, just like a kid, he wants to buy a big truck, right? Here it is. This is the truck he wants to buy. Look, at it. it's a big drilling rig, right? It says there are all the money donated here. and says 80, this truck will be able to build 80 wells this year, and over 40,000 more people will have clean water. Do you know that dirty water is the number one killer of women and children across the world today? So this little kid says, hey, I've got an idea. Let me worship fully. By knowing what God would want me to do, so I'm going to spend less on myself and everyone else asking to do the same thing to give more by loving 40,000 people who half may have died this year from dirty water in some village in Ethiopia. Go all back to the top, Eddie. I want you to see. His goal was $300. He raised $1,010. You see, Paul, he sat in jail, worshiping God, going after him, knowing him, and said, listen, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about spending less time and energy on me. It's about loving the Philippian church. Why? Because they're in need, and I want to love them all. Mackenzie comes on and says, hey, this birthday season, listen, this birthday season, it's not about me. But it's about helping those who are in need, spending less on me and giving more so I can be obedient to God by loving my neighbor as I love myself. Listen, parents, if you're a parent and you have children you're buying gifts for this, this Christmas, listen, do you think little Mackenzie made this decision all by himself? No. You know what happened? His parents sat down with him and decided, you know what? We should probably disciple our children. We should probably disciple and teach our son what it means to worship fully, to spend less, to give more, and to love all. Hey, McKenzie, let's sit down and talk about your, your birthday. What do you think about this year, about giving all the money going towards your gifts to other people? Are you kidding? No gifts? Right, as a kid? Yes. I got online, a little homework, said, do you realize that with the money that we would use to buy your gifts, we could invest in this 
cool truck that will bring clean water to 40,000 people? Are you? That's pretty cool, Dad. Yeah, son, it'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Dude, that's what Jesus probably do with his money. Are you serious? I love to be like Jesus. Yeah, me too. That's the goal of life is to be like him and to know him. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 3. Pretty cool. Yeah, Dad, that's awesome. Dad, how about this? How about this year? Because I'm turning six, we have $6 be given towards charity. Water. That'd be an awesome idea, son. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, so let's pray and just ask God to move in this. Isn't it like God to take our $300 and turn into 1000 This is what it means to recapture the holiday season, y'all. You as parents have a responsibility to disciple your children. If they get mad, who really cares? Your children are not called to be your friends. You're called to be their parents and to show them direction in life and to teach them and to train them and raise them up in the way that they're supposed to go. They can be your friends later in life when they're mature and old, like post-22, post-college, okay? In case you were wondering, your job is to disciple them and to teach them. It's not my job. It's your job. And Christmas is a great season to recapture what it means to worship fully, spend less, give more, so that you can express Jesus' love for all. What we're doing this for us at Vintage, at least, there's lots of things that you can do. You can embrace charity water if you want to. But what we're doing this year is we're offering Angel Tree. Randall's already mentioned it, right, wherever she went. Randall's already mentioned it, right, this idea that we're taking needy children who live right next door to you. I, listen, I walked into Abney Elementary the other day. We were doing the kid. No, it's picking Anna Catherine from school. And this mom walked over to me, and she said, thank you. I said, for what? She's like, vintage. Vintage gave me my Thanksgiving meal. She goes, it was, you just don't know what it meant. Unbelievable. I just want to thank you so much. I'm like, well, it was all me. No, I was like, seriously, it's all, we just love Jesus, right? I looked at her and said, hey, you are so welcome. We love you. We want to just be a part of your life and encourage you. She's like, thank you so much, right? Angel Tree is our expression of doing this. People in our neighborhood, we have, literally, right now, there are 60 kids that we've got gifts for. We'd like to get all like 150 taken care of. And what it means is simply this. This holiday season, you have an opportunity. It's an opportunity to say it's not it's about worshiping Jesus fully. Because what I know he would want me to do is to spend less on things that we really don't need. To give more to those who actually have need so that I can love them like Jesus loves them. And so what I want you to do today I want you to be obedient to the Lord. Again, not me making guilting you. God can do that. I'm just kidding. Now, I want you to, seriously, I want you to walk out the door and say, before you leave, say, God, is this your thing? And here's the thing about the thing. He obviously wants us to care for the needy and the poor. Over, I think it's 10,000 verses in Scripture that talk about God's heart for the poor. It's a lot. Maybe not 10,000. It's like, I don't know. It's a lot. That's what we're doing this year. Give me an opportunity to do that. Angel Tree is what we're doing. So I, when you walk out the door right there on the table, there are the names. What we will do is Lane will take your name. She will, she will um, put it into the, into the computer. She will get a family for you. She will email it to you what their needs are. 
You will get to go out with your family, explain the entire time what you're doing and why you're doing it, because there are people this year who don't have anything, and if we don't help them, nothing's going to happen. And so we go and we get, and we have this massive learning lesson for our children. But it's not a learning lesson for our children. It's a learning lesson for you, because what you'll find as you do this, then the goal would be, I'm just giving you a goal. The goal could possibly be next year to spend no, no, no money on any gifts for anyone in your family and take all of that money and give it to those who actually don't have anything. Maybe if you have the guts, you can do that this year if you're not scared of your children. All right? Something you can pray into. Again, that's probably that's playing the Holy Spirit, so I ask forgiveness for that. But let Lord, the Lord just can speak in that, right? But I want you to let God speak and move in you, okay? All right. Worship God fully. Spend less, give more, and love all. Embrace this motivation of Paul to say it's all about knowing Jesus, being obedient to him in that context, and if anything gets in the way of that, I'm going to run it over because he's worth it. Nothing will stand in my way. And basically what he says in Philippians, you can read it for yourself like verse 15, 16, and if any any of you disagree with this, you're wrong, and God will change your mind is basically what he says if you go read it. God will change your mind because this is what you're called to have as your primary motivation in life. You have a story that's being told every day. This was Paul's story based on true events. You have your own story based on true events. In it, learn to worship fully, to spend less on your own selfishness, give more to needs that are out there as you love all. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for your presence with us. And, Father, we ask this morning, Jesus, that you would simply speak to us. God, not with maybe the guilt that maybe I'm just jokingly throwing out, but that, Lord, you'd really speak to us just with a, a heart conviction. Lord, just a, and I say a conviction, God, just an awareness of what you're thinking about this holiday season. Because, God, when you, when you quote, unquote, step into the holiday season, there are thoughts on your mind about what you would have us do and where you'd have us go and how you'd have us spend our money. Now, I pray, Father, just for those who are here this morning, that, God, that you would speak to us about what that looks like for our lives. And, God, I praise you, Jesus, that your commitment throughout Scripture is that when we're obedient to you, you always pour out blessing. And as you, as you move, as we are obedient and move towards obedience, Father God, you pour yourself out into our lives to meet all of our needs according to your riches in heaven. So, Father, come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, hey, if you're new to Vintage, um, how we end our time is this every week. If you need to go, you're more than welcome to do that.